We are about to touch on the one impression I've ever done in this show that has actually had legs. What? Do you, you don't even remember? What? It's Liza. Remember my joke about oh, like Liza? Liza, <laughs> yes. Liza's showing up the day after Studio 54 closed and she's like, where's my club? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I've been literally working on that ever since we did it the first time. Really? Yeah. I'll be like in the shower. I'll be like, where? Where's my club? And Steve's Where's like, what, honey? And you're like, nothing. I'm not talking to you. I'm doing my Liza. I'm doing my Liza. Get my Liza on, and then I'm getting high kick in the shower. <laughs> Steve, don't talk to me. I'm doing my Liza. <laughs> Daddy's doing his art, Daisy. <laughs> Um, before we get to the show, you guys, listen, our Pride show is almost sold out. Get your tickets. Yeah. Come to the Pride show, you guys. June 29th, 50th anniversary of Stonewall. It is going to be amazing. We've hired our drag queens. Uh-huh. We're hiring a comic to open for us. You guys, this is the real show. The real deal. Yeah. You guys, Patreon's insane. We are almost done with Making a Murderer Season 2. Yeah. I love when you say that Patreon is gangbusters. It's gangbusters, I love it. I love it. Get our episode-by-episode coverage of the first season of Serial. I like to specify the first season because the rest of it's garbage. Yeah, and we only cover the first season, so don't. <laughs> also, The Staircase, Making a Murderer, The Jinx, all of the other bonus episodes, it's all ad-free. All ad-free. Our live shows, you guys. Our live shows are there. Yeah, videos. Ooh, videos of our live shows, for better or worse. <laughs> you guys, you can also come see us live at PodX and CrimeCon. Go to the CS Live page of our website. Uh, we got like little discounts. Come see us. Yeah, we have some promo codes for you. It's going to be amazing. And rate us on iTunes, you guys. We would really, really, really appreciate it if you take a minute to like write and tell the world what you love about our little show. Right, because we love you back. So. We do love you back. And we need the love. We, we need the love. <laughs> Patrick, girl, you're having a day today. I know. I walked all the way from Ninth Avenue. I know. <laughs> for this. For this. Uh, girl, what are we talking about today? Oh, we're talking about Studio 54. Are we ever? Listen, as a total theater queen, yeah. I learned a lot. Studio 54, if you guys don't know, it's a Broadway theater now. Mm-hmm. And I learned a ton. I love that space. I learned a ton about its origins. I was, yeah. like, salivating watching this thing. And it does have, it's it's rich with history. <laughs> And drugs, and sex, gay sex, and glitter, and yeah. decadence, mm-hmm. and just lots of bodily fluids. <laughs> oh. I look, Patrick. How many times do I have to say it? Our job is to say what happens in the documentary. Okay. When you walk through those blacked-out doors, you are in another world. Andy Warhol, Calvin Klein, Elizabeth Taylor, Mick Jagger. It was hot, sexy. It's like an adult amusement park. It is so preposterous. We both came from Brooklyn. They had this understanding that they were getting out and they were going to do something big together. We wanted the ultimate nightclub. Beautiful models, celebrities with gay men, transgenders, and it all started blending. A world fantasy that absolutely exploded. Sex was in the air. There were mattresses in the basement. The amount of drugs was profound. Everyone felt like they had to be there. The people started to get angrier because they couldn't get in. You can't have this much popularity without somebody wanting to take it down. All of a sudden, the lights were on, the police were there, and it was like the reality was in your face. The basement had bags of cash and drugs. The feds, mafia, the White House, they definitely messed with the wrong people. Controversy was like a moth to a flame, and it got even bigger. 
a haven for inclusion and acceptance. I don't think they had any idea that it would be important in our culture and the history of what was going on all around the world. This was revolutionary. opens in my favorite way these documentaries open just fabulous old footage of New York City right of Steve Rubell infamous famous <laughs> infamous Steve Rubell choosing who to let in children listening at home the thing about <laughs> Studio 54 is that one of the most famous things about it is that you couldn't just go and get in right. Steve Rubell or some, whoever the uh, Mark the, the hot bodyguard yeah. would pick and choose from a rabid mob of people dying and scratching each other's eyes out to get in and they would basically tell you if you were hot enough to come in or not do you know what my initial thought was bitch is gonna bitch yeah like these, watching Steve Rubell like be such a smarmy condescending right. queen let the black guy in. I was like, oh. <laughs> and then he's like, are those bell bottoms? I know. So it's like when you walked in the doors of Studio 54, it was truly like this fantasy world. Yeah. And it, it's now gone down in history in so many ways, but it was only around for 33 months. 33? That was when Liza showed up the next day. It was like, where's my club? Yeah, 33 months in one day. She was like, what the? <laughs> Just high kicking her way down 50. 50- but I'll, I'll tell you that um, when you walk into Studio 54 today, when you go to see a Broadway show there, sure. it, the entrance is exactly the same. Yeah, that long, it's yeah. like a, this long decadent runway. And they talk about the coat check room, which is yeah. to the right. That's where the box office is now, you yeah. guys. You guys, it's history. I know, it's history. I love it so much. I know. So then we meet, so it's Steve Rubell and Ian Schrager. Yeah. They were the owners and proprietors of Studio 54. And Ian Schrager is with us today. Steve Rubell is not. We will get into his story. Yeah. Um, and Ian Schrager's like, what, I just go? I just go and they're like, yes, sweetheart, you just start talking. And it's almost as if like he doesn't take a breath. He's like, okay, so it was 40 years ago right. we opened Studio 54. You know, I was, I was wondering to myself why after almost 40 years, you know, I would finally feel okay to talk about Studio because I hadn't talked about it, you know, at all. Now at a point in my life uh, that uh, doesn't sting as much after all this time the way it, it, it used to sting. There's only two people that could have told this story, Steve and I. That's why I'm happy to finally tell the story as it really happened. He's going through this book, this like Studio 54 photo book. Yeah. And throughout this documentary, which I know, not a visual medium, but we get some of these, I mean, truly unbelievable photos. Like they're going through this book and yeah. she's like, oh, we need one for this for this page. He's like, how about the one of like Mikhail Baryshnikov dry humping Liza Minnelli on the dance floor? <laughs> like Mick Jagger and Andy Warhol. Like this it was, was a, insane. It was a little before Me Too, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> so Ian Schrager is telling us about his friendship with Steve Rebell. And they met in college and like Ian... Ian says right at the top. My friendship with Steve was always very close. Always from the moment we met. Steve was the most public of people, but he, in fact, was very private. He was never open about his sexuality and the fact that he was gay. It wasn't something we talked about. You know, it didn't matter. Steve was an extrovert, and uh, I am an introvert. But inside, value-wise, essence-wise, you know, we were the same. 
So here's the thing. After graduation, Ian got a job as a lawyer. Uh-huh. And Steve owned a steak restaurant called Steak Loft. Let me tell you <laughs> something about the Steak Loft. <laughs> so Ian says, like, Steve was really into these restaurants. Yeah. Steak Loft was on Utopia Parkway in Queens. <laughs> I went to Steak Loft. What? In the 80s when I was a kid. When I watched it with the bike, I was like, that's Steak Loft. Like that. I was like, was it mine on Utopia Parkway? The funny thing is, you guys, Jillian texted me yesterday and she's like, I have this really crazy connection to this story. And I was like, don't tell me. Yeah. Like, wait till we're recording. And all the time I was watching this, I was like, what is her? I was like trying to figure out what your connection was. You thought it was the mob. I totally did. I got to say, this is the most boring connection. It didn't even occur to me that it was the a Steak Loft on Utopia Parkway. Uh, but anyway, so Steve was really into owning Steak Loft, but was bad at the business side of it right. is the point of all this totally. and so Ian had to come in and be like sweetheart you have to pay the bills <laughs> that's kind of like what happened to me when I got married <laughs> yeah no yeah she so was like sweetheart sweetheart what is what the what is this stack of bills going back 10 years you yeah. have to pay these and why are half of them in red envelopes right. <laughs> so I acted as his lawyer and kept the creditors at bay that's when Steve and I became partners so what they wanted is like they wanted something basically filled with like sex and drugs and glitter and Steak Loft was not providing that. So they were going <laughs> out to clubs and they were trying to figure out what kind of club they wanted to be. The funny thing is they show all these different clubs and like the one thing they know for sure is that they wanted to be like a gay club. Right. Because the gay clubs were not unlike today. Right. Kind of where it's at. And the thing about the gay clubs is like, okay, so they would play disco, which was coming out of the black clubs. Yeah. So they had that element to it. Then the women would go there because they just wanted to dance with the gay guys. Right. Then the men, the straight men would come because the hot women were there and the gay guys were there and the black community was there because of the music. So the gay clubs had everybody. We wanted a tattoo to loose, intense, sweaty, dancing fun that was happening there and take it up a notch. Create the ultimate nightclub. Blow everybody away with it. Dent the universe. Change the world. I don't know if you noticed this, but in every shot of these fabulous gay clubs, uh-huh. like the, the picture is just full of like hot guys and gorgeous women like dancing. Everyone's their face at a hundred. There like- is always that one queen with his arms folded uh, and like the thought bubble over his head is I don't really dance I don't really do this <laughs> Victor we know girl yeah doesn't make you interesting and don't I- use your your annoyances as like a personality trait <laughs> right. it's not a personality trait <laughs> although that usually works on me. <laughs> So because in the 70s they could just do this, I don't know where the money was coming from, but Uh they're just like, we're going to open a club that welcomed everybody. It's going to be on 54th and 8th, bada bing, bada boom. (laughs) So as we've learned from 800 documentaries, New York in the 70s was a dirty nightmare, blah, 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 blah. But especially 8th Avenue. And now there's like, we see this old footage of people actually getting mugged. I know. Like 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 pickpockets, and I'm like, where is this footage coming from? I know. But then we get this woman saying, "This used to be beautiful, and now it stinks." And she like walks away. Uh, Mayor Bean said he's going to clean up the streets. We're still waiting. It's very dirty. I'm living here many years, when I remember when it was beautiful, and now it stinks. I 
loved her. I loved she's that. She's got woman. her hat on. She's like, get the. Ca- oh, I got things to do. I got to make my pork roast. This place used to be beautiful. Maya Bean says he's gonna clean this place up. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting. It stinks. <laughs> got to get home before Johnny gets home. I need to make his roast. <laughs> so what happens now is like they they go and look at this old opera house. The opera house was called the Gallo. Oh, it's and amazing. Pictures of it. I cannot handle it. Yeah. And then it was a CBS studio where like, what's my line? And Jack Benny and the six. Yeah. $4,000 question, like super famous and wholesome right. uh, game shows and, and comedy shows were on. And all those dummies moved to LA and left the place vacant. So of course that's why it was easy. Everyone's like, you're you're actually going to go to 8th Avenue? <gasps> I, it's so funny because people were like, you're crazy to go there. Like it's dangerous. No one's going to go there. 54th and 8th wasn't Disneyfied yet. It was really a very sleazy neighborhood, perhaps the sleaziest neighborhood in the city, the west side in the theater district. If you wanted to get mugged, that was really a good place to go. It was amazing that anyone would think of opening up a discotheque on West 54th Street. So they are building the club, which they are always keeping into that whole theater vibe. They love that it used to be a theater. Of- we get modern day Ian Schrager in modern day Studio 54. So he's like in the Broadway theater right. reminiscing about like tearing out all the seats right. and like turning it into As a there are club. seats behind him now. Right. And so like he's saying that like this, the floor that they're standing on now is sloped for the theater and it was sloped when they bought it, but they had to like blow all of that out and turn it into like a regular, into a dance floor. I am losing my mind. Yeah, and they did it all without a building permit. And he's like, we built it in six weeks with unbridled energy. And I'm like, and cocaine. And lots and lots and lots of cocaine. Liza shows up. Let me build you club. Just high kicking. <laughs> Let me build you club. I gotta unbridled work on it. Unbridled energy. Right. Just say we were coked out of our minds and excited about our new gay club. <laughs> we're all friends here. The theater part was already there. And we made as much use of it as possible, which turned out to be a very good idea. And the people we hired to help us were mostly coming from the theater. Because this was all at the speed of a theater production. So then they they went to like the best of the best of the contractors and all these people. And before Studio 54 didn't even exist, even the skeleton of it didn't exist yet. Their competitors, all these clubs that were like... Oh, shit. Already scared of Studio 54, we're telling other contractors, like, don't work with them. So they were like, we'll just go to Tony Award winning lighting designers to get the job done. Do you know what they designed? They designed Seesaw. (laughs) (laughs) And Pippin. When, like, things are meant to be, the things, like, fall into place. And so they couldn't get the fancy lighting designers that they wanted, so they got these Broadway queens to come in, and they made it very theatrical. They just, they didn't know how to design for a light club. They knew how to design for the theater, so that's what they did. And that's what they wanted. But then, so we get modern-day Ian Traeger on the modern day stage and he's talking about like they decided they were going to do things that no other nightclubs did right you know even having a lighting guy up to that point no nightclub had a lighting guy the DJ did the lights he played the music and then he played with the lights nothing like it so we had a DJ we had a lighting guy we had two guys on the fly real back here like we had four people in that thing they had people working the flies. If you don't know what flies are, it's like where things are like raised and lowered onto yeah. the stage. So they would have like the sunset come in, the, the, this big sun, and then they'd have like a moon. The moon come with in. the spoon. You guys Google that image; it's historic. And this is what I learned in this documentary about why Studio Fifty Four was such a revelation because it was theater. They, right. It was like a nightclub, but it was theater, and this is what people were so drawn to. Right, Jillian. Guess what they forgot to do? Oh, they forgot <laughs> to get a liquor license. The poor things. They. Forgot 
forgot. <laughs> Again, guys- lots and lots and lots of cocaine. So what they chose to do instead, instead of just like getting the liquor license, they decide to get one day catering permits every <laughs> single day. Isn't it just easier to do like the couple days of work for the liquor license and never think about it again? I will say I do know that it is really, really fucking hard to get a liquor license. It like takes a lot of hours. You have to literally go to the community. Oh, boring. I know. <laughs> Let's do Coke and just get a one day catering permit instead. That sounds like so much fun. <laughs> All right, you guys. It's opening night of Studio 54. People were about to kick the door down. Truly. Right. There were so many people. The opening night, there is a mob scene. It was almost impossible to get close to the door. We didn't have the velvet rope all stretched out. We didn't have adequate security. We had to take all the rest of the security that was in the place and put them out front. And we were afraid. I break the, break the door down. All right, please, everybody back to across the street there were just rows and rows and rows of people and so Ian tells us like they had everything riding on the success or failure like it was either going to be a raging success or like a major failure and spoiler it was kind of both so you know now we're starting to hear from people who were there that that opening for night. the opening night yeah and they're saying like you walked in and you know you were on like a shitty New York City street in the 70s right and then you walk in and it's like this the vibe and the energy hits you like a ton of bricks and it's you like, can hear it like you would hear the music like pulsing sound of the music down the hall. There was a rush to get to the dance floor. Just a rush. The full blast of the sound, you know, just came over you in a big wave. And then we get the guys who worked the coat room and they're like, we must have lost hundreds of coats. Hundreds, hundreds of people left without <laughs> their coats. Every single person like walked in and like flung their coat. They, nobody cared. The coat check was so out of control. I just started giving people tickets who were hanging coats, who were putting coats. Then we were just throwing coats on the floor. Like hundreds of people must have lost their coats that night. It was, it was, it was total pandemonium. You know who would have had a really hard time working in that coat room? Steve. Steve. Steve? Steve. <laughs> yeah, totally. Steve would have been running. Oh, my God. I can see it now. Like, you guys. Making sure, running around, making sure everybody had their ticket. Do you have your ticket? <laughs> Put it in a safe place, okay? In your back pocket. And, like, and Andy Warhol's like, bitch, I'm not wearing pants. Right. What back pocket? What's a back pocket? And then there was someone who was just like in the middle of this who's like, the drug use was profound. <laughs> like profound <laughs> it's funny because the word profound is later used to describe you know the toll that AIDS took on the city of Manhattan right that's profound, that's profound. <laughs> this drug use was like decadent people living in a fantasy world trying to escape their present lives profound is a word that can be interestingly used <laughs> very true um, so everyone in the world came that first night Liza Mick Jagger ev- like everybody right. in the world who's famous for going to Studio 54 was there on the first night can we talk about how Liza fucking Minnelli walks through the front door. Yeah. Like, like you see the crush of people outside and like Liza walks through the crowd. That would never happen no, today. No, no, no. Even in Goodfellas, they had to go back through the kitchen. Right. <laughs> Liza's walking on 8th <laughs> Avenue. Get out of here. They really were on drugs. Where's the door? Like, she, really... she kicks the door open with those high kicks. That's totally how she got in. She kicked all the, get out of here, me immortals. She's just kicking. Cage, come with me. Yeah, they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm really going to go for this Liza. I think you should do it. I'm loving every minute of it. Gage, come with me. Yeah. And they, they were they were on the front page of the Post, which is kind of, which back then, I know in the world we live in, it's like, of course they were. But back then, that was a big deal. Something happened. 
from that first night opening party, the message was sent out. It was like, boom, this was the spot. I was absolutely shell-shocked. Steve was only 33. I was 29. Uh, and uh, we had this massive hit. Also, Steve Rebell from like archival footage tells us about the velvet ropes they had to put up. Did they invent the velvet rope? I, I don't know if they invented it, but I think his story is total bullshit. Yeah. So, because there's footage of him being like, "Oh, you're not shaved. There's no way in a million years you're getting in. Just go home. Just oh, go right. home tonight. Yeah. Like yeah. all this, all this crazy. Like just go home. He's such a dick. Steve Rebell would never in a million years be let into Studio 54 if he didn't create Studio 54. One hundred percent. Which is why he loves, and he has to stand on like six apple boxes to even see everyone because there were so many people. But according to Steve Rubell, he tells the story that there were all of these, uh, he says prostitutes, sex workers on 8th Avenue. Yeah. And they were, they kept trying to like mingle with the crowd. Right. So to quote, like keep them at bay, they had these velvet ropes put up and he's like, and then it just became a thing. And I'm like, no girl, it sounds like it was all part of the plan. Right. <laughs> like, uh, and then he's on the news and he's like, no, 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 no. Anybody is welcome. Everybody's welcome at Studio 54 on the news so that everyone will come by. Yeah. He'll have a bigger crowd and he'll tell everybody no. The one thing that I really liked about this was that he says out loud gay people. Now, do you only admit celebrities? No, no. We admit everybody. Um, How do you choose? What are your criteria for admitting someone? You really fun-loving. You want people who are just in there to have fun and not get heavy with each other. People come there to relax. Do you favor couples versus singles? We couples, gay people. I mean, I know that he was gay, but like, try to understand the mindset of the time. Most people who were gay in the 70s would do anything they could possibly think of to not be perceived as gay. Sure. So for this gay guy who's not out of the closet to be on TV saying like, we welcome gay people at our club, that's a big, big deal. Of course. Huge. I mean, it was like, so many times I was like crying unexpectedly. But it was all, it was also a business move because like, he wanted the atmosphere of the club to be like celebrities, but also like, quote, freaks and gays. Right. And like, he wanted you to be a little shocked. Right. And we get it from another person saying that, like, this was, like, the first mainstream club that you'd walk in and see, like, men kissing each other. Sure. That, and come to our Pride show, you'll learn all about it. Like, yeah. that was a thing that, like, could get you thrown in jail. It was in, illegal. In years, to, years before to that. To be exactly. who you are. It's exactly. insane. <laughs> totally. They did want to cater to people who felt like they didn't have any place to to be. Yeah. And that's awesome. And I'm not taking anything away from that. But to say, like, you know, no matter who you were, you can come into Studio 54, that is categorically not true. Right. That's absolutely right. It is completely <laughs> about superficiality. And you couldn't be, like, the schlubby gay guy who just wanted to be himself at Studio 54. You were looking straight at me you when you said that. I make eye contact when we speak. <laughs> You told me that you thought I was 13 in 1977, so all bets are off. But, like, you know, the schlubby neighbor couldn't go to Studio 54. You had to be a certain type of gay look gay person like you know you had to yes. be a gym rat to totally. go I do love the one queen that we hear that like going out was all about ego if you didn't see somebody at Studio 54 it meant they couldn't get in what did that mean <laughs> <laughs> The guest list came with specific instructions every night. You guys, this is my favorite part. Oh, God, I love this so much. So it's like, who was letting in? Who was going in? Who was going to get comped? Because sometimes, like, if you were famous, you can come in, but you still had to pay. Like, half of the Rolling Stones (laughs) would come in, but they had to pay. Mick and Keith were fine. (laughs) 
<laughs> but then they had something very professional and organized in Studio 54. An F you. Right, exactly. No fuck up. Mark had to let these people in no matter what. This is on the official paperwork. It's typed. I know, it's I know. It's scribbled. It's typed up. No fuck up, Mark. You let in Liza. How many times do we have to tell you? Mark, let me in the club. And the names on this list are like Liberace. I know. <laughs> you guys are really taking it far with the gay clients. I know. We, we get, get it. it. You want the gay, gay club. <laughs> uh, we get it. And then, like, you know, the bridge and tunnel crowd wasn't welcome at Studio 54. Why? Because polyester melts under the lights. Ooh. <laughs> burn. <laughs> I love the story when they were saying that, like, Steve would split up couples. What a little bitch. I I know. He's like, you're so beautiful, lady. Come in. Your husband's got to go home and change his shirt. Yeah, like, in what universe would the guy come back and be like, what Steve would be like, who the hell are you? I know. I I, I know. I was thinking the same thing, that, like, in any other club, the girl would be like, no, I'm fine. But in Studio 54, you know she went in. Of course she went in and never saw him again. No. And there's this guy that Anthony Hayden guessed, that journalist. Oh, yeah. And he talked. There is this photo that's like, oh, my God. It's <laughs> it's really creepy, the rabid look on these people's faces, like hoping against hope that they would get in. Right. If you look at the photograph, it's more slightly hopeful throng. You see occasional waved hand and a little grin trying to catch the eye of Mark Benneke or Steve. It's like the damned looking into paradise. It's like the damned looking to paradise. <laughs> It's true. It's exactly what that looks like. That's, These desperate, I mean, truly desperate people. I got to tell you, I honestly have in my notes, look at these losers outside. <laughs> I have go home losers. <laughs> Can't get into Studio 54. Get out of here, losers. Do you think we would have been allowed in back in the day? Yeah, I do. You do? Um, do you, you think th- if we were true crime obsessed back in the day that we would be able to get in? Or do you think if we were just Patrick and Jillian? No, I think you'd get in because you're pretty and Aww. I'd get in because I'd know somebody. <laughs> Like you know somebody too, but you wouldn't need that. Oh, thanks. I would. I would know somebody who'd be like, just let her in. Just let her in, and then I'd be like, I'm not going in without Patrick. Right, totally. And then it'd be fine. Right. That's how we would probably have met at Studio 54. Totally. Back in the day, we would have absolutely met on Studio at Studio 54. Oh, totally. That's how it would happen. The thing that I hate about myself. (laughs) The thing is, I hate clubs so much. I was just gonna say. I don't even know if I I would would have wanted to go. I know. (laughs) Again, like what's it? I say this a hundred times. Like nothing about this is fun. No. Like please don't touch me. You're sweaty, and I don't want like your sweaty skin on my sweaty I, like <laughs> can't we just go to the dive around the corner and talk shit about everyone that we saw there was a uh, a passion to get in and a resentment and a hatred if you didn't we didn't care we just wanted the success people <laughs> felt free at studio 54 yes everyone felt protected and safe and people could really be themselves and you know expressing yourselves with no judgment and sexuality and all this my goodness. favorite part about this though is that we get this interview with these like gays or oh I, or they're fantastic they're, yeah they're, i don't know if they're gay or trans i don't know exactly what their deal is but like they're just sitting there do people ever insult you or rude to you no no they're petrified they think we escaped from a broadway show basically new york people are very open and very courteous and kind no no that's that's not true. Only at studio. We truly feel at home here. Yeah, we pay rent sort of. Fourteen dollars is rent, I think. You know? <laughs> and they're just saying, like, you know, gay people and transgender people take their lives in their own hands when they walk down the street, uh-huh. so that they can walk down the street, make it 
to Studio 54 safely. Totally. And then be exactly who they are is amazing. I don't know what the right word is, but like they're invited into Studio 54 because they're fabulous and they're part of the atmosphere, but they're not made, they're not like freaks. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're well, they really are welcome and like celebrated there. Yes, exactly. There's a little bit of like, oh, can we just, uh, with the puppies and rainbows, can we just get back to reality for one second? <laughs> Everyone's like, they were all my friends. No, you guys were just hammered. Right. Like you wouldn't <laughs> go to lunch the next day because you have nothing to say to each other. My friend, my friend Marianne has this brilliant bit about drunk plans. About how Oh, my- <laughs> that's, Studio 54 is hammered plans. That's totally. exactly it. <laughs> you guys, you guys, we're all going to wake up tomorrow and go to brunch at nine o'clock. I'm You're gonna make, my friend. I'm going to make a reservation yeah. right now, you guys. No, they all, they're only going to see us if we're all together. Don't worry, girl. We'll go straight from Studio 54 to Rooster's Nest or whatever that famous one was. Whatever. And then, like, Bethany is the only one that shows up. She, like, stumbled Hi. there. She's got one shoe on. Liza oh. Minnelli, party of 14. <laughs> Again, we do this every week, Bethany. No one's showing up. Every week. But we get some of these characters and we learn like who they really were outside oh of Studio 54. The best. So we get Rollerina. Rollerina! Wall Street banker by day, fairy godmother by night. Yes, girl. Disco Sally. Oh, who was a 78-year-old lawyer. You guys, Disco Sally. And Mark, the Mark the the door guy, was like, I was kind of against the gimmick of it all, but Steve forced me on it. I guess it kind of worked. <laughs> and you see this video of this like 78-year-old woman dancing her the night away. Dancing the night. She's a 78-year-old lawyer. Oh, and that fab drag queen who's but, stunning. I had to look her up because they said her name so fast. I think it's Potassa. Yeah. Potassa, who was like the most fabulous drag queen of that whole era. She was 5'11 out of shoes uh, and 6'6 in shoes. And you never, ever, 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 ever saw her out of drag. Always, always knows when a camera's on her. She's fantastic. Flawless. Oh, my God. Oh, and then we get, like, this heartbreaking, but kind of awesome. Like, this one guy is saying that, like, the thing that made Studio 54 so successful is that 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 point in the 70s was this, like, weird window between the the invention of the pill and the advent of AIDS. So even if you weren't promiscuous or sleeping with someone different every night, you felt like you could. You know, love was in the air. Sex was in the air. You really could just like sleep with somebody new every single night if you wanted to. They had mattresses in the basement. You guys, and people mm. used them. Yeah, someone was like, I slept with a lot of people. Yeah. A lot <laughs> of people. Like, I had to repeat it. Like, let me be clear. I had sex with a lot of people in the basement of Studio 54. I know. Which, by the way, you guys, now is like a, is like a very cool cabaret club called 54 Below. We were there not that long ago. I go there like, I don't know, twice a month. <laughs> people had sex there. Right here. And there. We were crying our eyes out at the Jonathan Larson Project. I know. Someone, some ghost is like, ha ha. I, right I think us. about this every time that I go there because I'm often standing out in front of Studio 54. I know. Like waiting on the sidewalk like a loser who couldn't get in. <laughs> and so Steve would walk around with this gigantic coat. How he wasn't hot in that I don't understand I think that he was so off the planet he yeah. like didn't feel anything just filled with drugs and money and he would just hand it out because he really loved quaaludes <laughs> uh, so he was probably had no he was just floating through and I so think, that's where a lot of the money was going yeah and they show this interview with him where he is just out of his mind he's, oh. back, he's with our gay or trans friends the ones just that like, we love from like before. laying all over them in the just couch the quaaludes will do that to you just ask Karen Walker <laughs> she knows all about it think this happens anywhere else in the world no no I was all over the world uh, I, I'm happy. <laughs> but the thing is, Ian is saying, like, he was super rich, he was super successful, he was having the time of his life, and he was finally comfortable with who he really was. He enjoyed every night. 
I mean, Steve probably had more fun than anybody. And the environment we created allowed him to be comfortable and accept his sexuality. Maybe for the first time in his whole life. I think that Ian had his eye on the prize as like a businessman and like Steve was just like throwing the party that he wanted to go to every single night. Exactly. Because he, again, never would have been allowed in. No. And so Steve was in his element and Ian, like not really. Steve loved the press. Ian, not really. Because Ian was the guy who was like, we have to like, I don't know, get the one day catering license instead of a fucking liquor license so we can open tonight. Right, exactly. You think Steve Rubell was getting the catering license? (laughs) Absolutely not. Uh, We have a news reporter. Breaking news. Studio 54 is the Mount Olympus of the disco world. <laughs> Tom? <laughs> Tom, have you ever been allowed in, Tom? <laughs> Studio 54 is probably the Mount Olympus of the disco world. Right now, it is the center of the universe for those who dance to 125 beats a minute. Studio 54, the definitive disco here in New York City. We get so many of the of people saying the same thing. It was hard to get in. We get it. Uh, yeah, and there's like, and it was a fantasy world. It's like how many montages right. of like what a fantasy decadent gay drug induced fantasy world this was. Exactly. We get it. But that footage is amazing. I'll I'll sit through eleven montages. I know. Of this. So now the music changes and we start to get the, a little bit of the downfall. Yeah, they were spending between forty and fifty thousand dollars per night. I mean, that's insane. And then this one guy says that one thing that I think if you hung out there you did notice was that they changed the cash register receipt roll in the middle of the night. That began to get out. People began to notice that. And that's like an indication that something is shady. Yeah. I mean, why would you change the tape? I mean, it's not like they ran out of tape. It was like they were doing like a separate. It was like, that's all the sales we did tonight. Right. You know? Yeah. And then in one night, in the middle of this massive decadent fantasy world, the cops basically break the door open and turn the lights on and shut the music off at one time. And everyone's like mid hump. Like, what the? (laughs) Mid. What? It's like you're you're faced with the worst kind of reality. You're just you're at your peak 100 having the time of your life. And the freaking cops come in and break up the whole party. I was up in my office with a girl and I heard the music stop. Well, I walked downstairs and Steve was already over there. You're encompassed in this little world, and all of a sudden the lights went on, and the police were there. It was like the reality was in your face, like, holy shit. We were both under arrest. The other thing, you guys, this happened to gay clubs all the time. Come to our Pride Show, you'll learn all about it. The mm-hmm. cops raided the gay bars all the time. They would just kick in the doors, all the lights would go up, everyone would get arrested, right, and but, that was that. But this time, right. they broke the doors down because, you guys, it's been six months and they don't have a liquor license. <laughs> we still didn't have a liquor license, so we were getting catering permits every night. But, you know, at a point in time, they're like, okay, why are these guys coming every night for catering permits? They're a nightclub and everybody knows it. And Steve Rubell is talking to everyone who will listen, doing every magazine article. And And he's saying things like the only people out there doing better than us is the mafia. But don't tell anybody. (laughs) That's quoted in a New York in a New York magazine. But don't tell anybody. And like we meet these feds and these they were like, Yeah, Steve Rubell is like yapping his face off. The point is someone from the catering company was like, Hey, these guys don't have a liquor license. That's the funniest part too. And they're also reporting like twenty five hundred dollars in earnings a night. Everyone's like, bitch, please. I know. Like, you're lucky it took us this long to get around to knocking your doors down. It's so ridiculous. So then they finally get the liquor license and they beat like that one small charge. Yeah. And it's like every everything's back oh. on. All right, you guys, it's December 14th, 1978. The IRS raids the club at like nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah, not just two dozen of them. I know. <laughs> and they 
come up, they come with a warrant to search and seize. The Studio 54 case began with an allegation of a gigantic skimming operation that there was cash and drugs hidden at Studio 54. The best part is that Steve Rebell like, gets wind that the IRS is there. He calls his bar manager. The whole Steve Rebell's only concern are the quaaludes in the safe. Get my ludes. <laughs> Get the ludes, girl. Don't let them touch my ludes. <laughs> so the, the bar manager like runs to the club. But uh, I ran into the feds while I was in the basement. And they said, you're the manager. I said, yeah. And they said, well, come on, uh, you know, open the safe. He takes them to the safe. He like opens the safe, gives them the quaaludes and the money, and the cops are like, is that it? And he's like, no, there's more. No, there's more up in the <laughs> ceiling, sweetheart. <laughs> so, is this everything? And that's when I said, well, there's a couple of boxes up above here, too. This bar manager sells them out. And this bar manager is telling us I, himself today I in the know. documentary. He's like, oh, and then I just told him about the drugs in the ceiling. <laughs> they asked a question, I answered. What's the problem? The drugs in the other set of books in the ceiling. Yeah. So now Ian shows up, sees the feds there. This is where Ian Schrager is only being so honest starting now. Yeah. Ian Schrager, one of the owners of Studio 54, entered the club sometime later. And agents say that among his records, they found cocaine wasn't in my books it was around my books and then they came in i put my books on the floor maybe it was left from the night before who knows he's saying that like i put my papers down and they and someone spilled cocaine all over them yes 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 someone sneezed cocaine onto my precious work papers <laughs> that's exactly, that's what he's saying and it's like ian girl yeah no tell you got you did your time tell tell the story or don't right ian girl please you know your way to the bottom of a bag of cocaine you can't tell me that you don't stop it right stop it right look come on we're all friends here right <laughs> let's go to brunch tomorrow ian nope <laughs> So, of course, he's arrested. And yeah. so Garbage Roy Cohn, their lawyer, is like, oh, no, no, no. He's also been absolutely doing cocaine if he thinks that this is a good idea. He's like, trash your own offices. Make it look like the feds did it. And it got everybody even more pissed off at us uh, because it wasn't true. And they said they were very careful to keep uh, everything very neat. That kind of started the litany of mistakes we made in this thing because that made the front page of the Daily News. Listen, Steve Rebell and Ian Schrager are not off the hook for having Roy fucking Cohen on their payroll. No. And Ian Schrager wants us to think he's a good guy. Maybe he is. I don't know. This guy employed Roy Cohn. We can that can that fact cannot be lost. They no. were they were friends with Roy Cohn. You guys, if you don't know who Roy Cohn is, he's a lawyer that like one of the most famous lawyers in history because he was a garbage monster. Give her a goo. Well, you tell me one other instance in American history when 23 internal revenue agents at the beginning of an investigation before they even go to a Companies, accountants, or lawyers come in and raid a place, tear it to pieces, open up everything in sight. Uh, if that's ever happened before in America, I've never seen it. So Steve is now talking to the reporters himself, and like they're asking him, like, what happened here? What's going on? And he's like, all, all I really, I don't really know. Like, my friend Ian really runs the place. Yeah, I went to college with the guy. I think yeah. he's a good guy. Like, obviously, I'm upset about the cocaine use. Totally. Says the guy with the gigantic coat handing out lewds <laughs> and $100 bills to Mick Jagger, who doesn't need any more money or drugs. <laughs> Give it to Bethany. Right. It's all she has. <laughs> God knows she doesn't have a brunch reservation anymore. Liza Minnelli, party of 12. Am I, am I early? Am I the first to arrive? Bethany, every week. <laughs> Bethany, every week we go through this. Liza's not, Liza's not coming, girl. The thing about... 
about all of this, too, is that they get arrested, they get out on bond or whatever, the party just gets bigger. We also find out that uh, in these second books, like the books, like the real books, there was a there was a, a column for skim. Yeah, so they it's act- skim. They actually documented right. how much they took off the top every night. These idiots. And then the, our, our friend, the cop guy, who's like, who raided the place, like the lead cop guy, he's like... In the 33 months that they were doing, I think there was skim of two and a half or three million dollars, an astronomical amount to skim, which was ridiculous. I mean, if you're going to skim, you know, skim 10% or 20, you know, not 80%. They were really, you know, pigs about it. That's also how much how much money they were making. Like yeah, it's insane. Totally. For all the free drugs and and money that was being handed out, like people were going up to the bar and getting vodka sodas or whatever. Yeah, like <laughs> people were ordering stuff. Hundred percent. And also, we finally meet like Steve Rebell's boyfriend, mm-hmm. who still looks great, by the way. Yeah. He's gotten the good male plastic surgery. Sure. So he says that Steve Rebell had nine hundred thousand dollars in fives and tens stashed away in their apartment. In their apartment, and Ian had four hundred thousand grand in his car. In his car, and even Ian's like, it could have gotten stolen, it could have like, gotten towed. He's like, I was parking in garages, I was just like <laughs> leaving it unlocked on the street on 8th Avenue in 1970s New York City, where if you've heard anything about anything, right. not a safe place. <laughs> so now this 12-count indictment comes down. Ian and Steve face up to 10 years in prison and a mere $20,000 in fines, which right. a- honestly, that fine seems like nothing. Nothing. So during this whole time, Studio 54 shuts down. They they figure the best thing to do to like revamp their image is to revamp the club. Well, I love how it's like in the middle of like fighting tax evasion and, and fighting the White House. Let's redecorate. Yeah, exactly. You know because- the gays are behind this. Girl, <laughs> let's just have a new redecoration. Never hurt anybody. But it is because Steve Rebell went to see Sweeney Todd. And yeah. he's like, you know what we got to do? We got to make a bridge. That turned into a sex pit. Yeah. <laughs> Tired of fighting your way through the crowded dance floor? Well, this moving bridge ought to be able to solve that problem. It can carry 25 tons in weight and we'll be able to move 250 people over the heads of the dancers to the other side of the room or to the balcony at a speed of 45 feet a minute. Apparently they like relined the balcony with rubber. <laughs> the guy's like, yeah, we knew it was a sex pit. Of course the story goes that they had to cover the balcony in rubber so they could wash it down more easily. Were you aware that you were creating a sex pit? <sighs> yes. <laughs> the answer is Yes. <laughs> So they could hose it down. Ugh. You guys, I see shows from the balcony all the time. You know who I wouldn't have met at Studio 54? Who? Super Hot Husband Mike. Yeah. <laughs> he would be like, people touching? Other- no, don't touch me. <laughs> and I'm right there with him. So basically, you guys, they're, they're trying to get away with like not copping to like a felony or whatever because they would lose their liquor license. But again, it's all about the club. Right. And it doesn't work, you guys. They get sentenced to three years in jail. Yeah. Uh, and then, and still all those fines. So what they do, they throw one last gigantic, we're going to prison party the party the night before they went to jail was probably as exciting and as much fun as the opening party it may have been more fun andy warhol was there calvin klein diana ross sang liza minnelli sang too What I distinctly remember, Steve was wearing like a Frank Sinatra hat, and they played I Did It My Way. And thank God Ian is just like, this is preposterous. 
preposterous. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, what yeah. What the yeah. hell were we thinking? The ego of it all. And they say, like, everyone says they were not prepared emotionally for jail. Although I will say, they get to jail, and the first thing that Ian Schrager does, he finds the guy that killed the guy with a bowling ball. And Makes decides, friends. Yeah, totally. And he's like, I'll pay your wife on the outside. Yeah. I'll keep your wife happy if you keep us protected. And he's like, yeah, that sounds good. The guy, <laughs> sounds pretty reasonable. I'm just saying. I don't know the story with the bowling ball, but no. right now, he sounds pretty reasonable. And I love that they're, like, they're in jail. And this is the other part where we find out that, like, they decide to work with the government, right? Right? So what happens is they're trying to get Ian and Steve to turn on the other nightclub owners. What they do, apparently the police precinct was like right on the edge of Chinatown and they right. all knew where the best Chinese food no, was. No, it was the feds. It was like the attorney's office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, right, exactly. Yeah. They have a name. It's the great Chinese food scenario. <laughs> and so he's like, yeah, we just ordered a slew of different Chinese dishes yep. and had it in the office and just let them smell it. And I'm like, this is the plan? What does I'm- that mean? <laughs> So you would just try to like sweat them out, but only smell them out with the smell of Chinese food, and they'd be like, mm, "Those wontons." All right, all right, we'll give you, we'll give it you this worked. club and this club, and it worked. You know who else it would work on? Stephen Tipton. <laughs> we were under all kinds of pressure. The government had all our records. It isn't as if, you know, we named names, but we would have had to perjure ourselves if we didn't answer questions about the nightclub owners of. Bonds, Infinity, and New York, New York at the time. So we did what we had to do and got a reduced sentence. So now, like, you know, the downfall of Studio 54 while they're in prison because they have to sell it. Yeah, and they talk about how, like, disco went from being, like, the cool thing to being a joke. Right, because it was, like, this life of decadence that people really resented going into the 80s and the whole disco sucks movement. And they had, like, these disco demolitions at baseball stadiums and they would destroy all their albums. It's so crazy. And so they get out in 1981, New York City, very different. But so then, you know, they want to get credit. They want us to, like, open hotels together, Ian and Steve. Mm -hmm. But in order to prove that they can pay off loans they open another nightclub the Palladium which is super famous right but the Palladium you remember from our Glory Days episode it's like one of those clubs oh club the Palladium was huge yeah and so that they like that's how they get their reputation back they start like building hotels together yeah, and then now we have to end on some sad notes. Yeah, so Steve Rebell dies of AIDS, and it's really fucking tragic. And it's it's the 80s now, and it's really, everyone is talking about, like, the toll that AIDS took on New York City culturally. Everybody was getting sick. It was frightening, and if I'm still emotionally affected by it, the loss was profound. The impact that these people had on the community, on the culture, on New York City, such an incredible loss. Culturally, it changed everything. Think about, you know, like all the gay men that died of AIDS and all of all the people that died of AIDS. It was disproportionately affected gay men. But the number of like the artists and the creators and all those people that died, we lost an entire generation of that. Yeah. And, and it's so fucking awful. It is. It is. And a lot of those, you know, those famous, those characters of Studio 54 can't be in this documentary because of that. Right. And the thing that was so tragic to me that was so sad was that when Steve dies, 
Steve Rebell doesn't want any mention of AIDS in his obituary. This was really common at the time. And you see the news footage. Steve Rebell changed the look, the feel, and the pace of New York's nightlife when he opened up Studio 54 some years ago. Well, Rebell died this morning here in Manhattan from complications of hepatitis. Steve Rubell died of complications resulting from hepatitis and septic shock. Steve Rubell, who died yesterday of liver failure. There were rumors that Rubell succumbed to AIDS, but the official word is that he died of hepatitis and septic shock. He probably had all of them. Right, but it, it was because of complications from, from AIDS. AIDS. And eventually, you know, come to the Pride show, eventually, like, everybody wants listed that they died of complications of AIDS to, like, raise awareness. Exactly. But Steve Rebell was not there. Right. And then the thing is, so Ian designed 38 hotels, as we were talking about before. Yeah, Steve and Ian invented the idea of the boutique hotel, which, yeah. is, which is amazing. And Ian's, like, really successful. And here's how this ends. This was, I was like, wait, what? So in January 2017, Ian Schrager was fully pardoned by President Obama. This is insane. Who like just like went to the Mondrian, I guess, and really loved it. Like, like one of Ian Schrager's hotels. Yes. Yeah, you know what? Instead of filling out this comment card, right. I'm just going to fully pardon you for the I shit know. you pulled back in the 70s. But is the pro- our prosecutor friend yeah. is the guy who recommended this, I know. this full pardon. You know, it really ends on other people talking about what Steve and Ian created. That like right. Studio 54 was not just a thing that was important to the 70s. It wasn't just a thing that was important to New York. It wasn't just a thing that was important to nightclubs. It wasn't just, it was important to the world. It's like, it's a moment in time that these guys created. And if they never created anything else, that's their legacy together. Yeah. Are you going to play the West Wing music under that? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to stand up and just give you a slow clap, but I didn't want to, you were right in the moment there. Ah! We did it. We did it. You guys, we really needed a break from some murder. Oh, just give me some gays and tax fraud all day. All day. Don't forget to come see us live in June. Our Pride show is selling out, you guys. I'm so excited. We've got our drag queens. We're covering the Stonewall documentary. It's the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. This is like a little little, uh, amuse-bouche for for our Pride show. 100%. I have so much to say. I promise I'm not going to just like give speeches. I'm going to be funny. I swear to God. Okay. Maybe I'll get a word in edgewise. Uh, don't forget to check out our Patreon. You guys get our episode-by-episode coverage of The Staircase, Making a Murderer, Serial, The, the Jinx. Jinx, all of our interviews with Rabia Chaudhry and the director of Abducted in Plain Sight. Asia McLean. Asia McLean. Our live show videos. Yeah. It's just, there's so much content there. It's a there. party. It's like 81 it's things. It's Studio guys. 54 of Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, you guys, uh, if you wouldn't mind, while you're thinking about it, give us a review on iTunes. Write why you love us. Just write a sentence or two. It really would mean a lot to us. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Coming up next, you guys, we're doing it. Everyone's been asking for it. The inventor. You guys, Elizabeth Holmes. I gotta get it. I gotta find that that low that low register. Yeah, I don't know if I I I mean I certainly don't have that. She kind of (laughs) sounds like the guy like Buffalo Bill a little bit. I'll get there. Girl, where can they find us? TrueCrimeObsessed.com is our gorgeous website. Episodes, our merch, promo codes, all the, that good See stuff. See us live, the whole deal. The whole deal. We are at TrueCrimeObsessed on the Twitter and at TrueCrimeObsessed Podcast on the Insta. Where do they find you, girl? At Jillian with a G on all the things. Uh, I'm at Patrick Hines underscore on the Instagram, at Patrick Hines on the Twitter. You guys, this week the palate cleanser has been pre-selected by super hot husband Steve Tipton. Ooh. We're doing something from Xanadu. Disco. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. The days of disco. Uh, we love you. We love you so much. Thanks for hanging out with Stay us. Stay tuned for the outtakes. Yeah. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. What do you dream for? 
that less people have to say goodbye too soon to people they love. I had heard about Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. But you know, her story is so compelling. She was going to herald a revolution in medical treatment in this country. It was obviously such an incredible story. A woman creating this $9 billion company. Everyone worshipped the ground she walked on. She could do no wrong. She was the next Steve Jobs. The idea with the Edison was to stick the lab inside the box. She wanted Edison devices in every home in America. This could be the apple of healthcare. You all are part of something that is going to change our world. What higher purpose is there? Elizabeth came to me, and she described her idea. It's impossible, physically. Elizabeth was lying about the accuracy of the blood tests. It's all a show. She didn't want anybody to see what was going on in there. We don't need to explain ourselves to competitive companies. She aligned herself with very powerful men who succumbed to a certain charm. She was deceiving investors to the tune of $400 million. It comes back to fake it until you make it. There was definitely something going on behind the scenes. She had bulletproof glass on their windows. Anything I typed was watched. It was very scary. Like, what are they trying to hide? The mantra in Silicon Valley is move fast, break things. That's not the way you approach science that's going to be impacting people's lives. Quite frankly, people can die. It snowballed into this crazy situation. In a panic, I went and bought a burner phone. I called the Wall Street Journal. What is coming out of her mouth is not reality. She never thought she had any limits. She was going to conquer the world. This was real lunacy. Can you tell us a secret? I don't have many secrets. I'm... I'm a paying customer. Let me in. Everyone's like, sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> Can I ask you another question? What? What the hell is action news? I think it's just like breaking news. It's just a dumb term that people use. <laughs> action news. Channel 7, action news. Like, I, we get it. You're where the action is. Ugh, sit down. Did you go to bar mitzvahs at the Enchanted Garden? Thank you for the compliment, but I was not going to bar mitzvahs in 1977. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> And to think I put on concealer for you today. <laughs> I ran a comb through my hair, and you think I'm going to bar mitzvahs in 1977. Okay. Here's my thing. And I used to say this, like, 10 years ago when I used to go out to gay clubs. Uh-huh. I think it's absolutely fine if straight guys want to come to gay clubs. Right. They just need to wear wristbands. <laughs> because, my God, how many nights in my 20s did I spend buying drinks all night? How many night wasted drink- nights at <laughs> Club 13? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to buy you drinks all night. You know, the funny thing is, though, if, like, the guy had ever been, like, you know, I'm straight, but, like, I'm really enjoying talking to you, I'd have been like, I'm not that, what, what, how dare you presume? Yeah, I'm not that kind of girl. Wait, what kind of whore do you think I am? (laughs) Meanwhile, you're like, how many vodka tonics is it going to take to get this guy to be a little curious tonight? God. Oh, my 20s. That was my Debbie. That was my Debbie and Don whistle register. I'm going to mention it every single time. I got Debbie. I got spring break stuck in my head today. (laughs) Spring break. (laughs) You're visiting your sister. Spring break. (laughs) Apparently, there is no success nor joy for you nor I. And now Clio is to be granted Tanadu. Would that I were a god. I would smite her. Oh, sister, sister, you are such a...
that she falls in love with this mortal. Hey, 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 hey! What a glorious prank! We shall do the curse! She shall be in love, and by Zeus's decree, be put to death. Hey, 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 hey! Come, my daughter sirens! Come join your mother and aunt in mean-spirited melody! You're an evil woman! Evil woman, I had done me all! But now you're trying to win a different song. Ha ha! Funny how you broke my heart. You made the wine, now you drink the cup. I came around. 